to. Hello and welcome to the 19th of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gomatra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with John MacDonald. John grew up in Tilbermory at Springbank. A hollier for the last 40 years and more, as you'll hear, John has a passion for the west coast of Scotland, and Mull in particular. His interests stretch far and wide, and he knows so much about the people and history of our islands. Our conversation ranges from his grandparents, parents and siblings, to details of his working life, the Tobermory of his youth, his family, and travels, both local and more exotic. John, also known as Spank from Springbank, came over to join me here at home last weekend, and we recorded our conversation in my office. And now, with great pleasure, I give you John MacDonald. Who are you? Hey, well, I'm John MacDonald. I was born in Tobermory, and I've lived and worked around about the island ever since, really. Yeah, yeah. Where were you born in Tobermory? Hey, I was born in the house at Springbank, uh, downstairs. Um, Gosh. There, and um, and we lived there. Uh, well, we lived there mostly. My grandfather bought the house in, uh, I think it was 1916, uh, so we were in it. We were in it about 90 years. We were there from 1916 to 2006, and after my parents died, it was left between us all, so um, it was just sold, you know, it was too big an undertaking for any of us, so that was it, Ty. Mm -hmm. And was it always just one house, or was it three different levels? Uh, It was two houses at the time it was built. In fact, it was two houses until my grandfather bought it, because, you know, I think my father, my father and George Saloon put the stair in, they put a stair in from the ground floor to the top floor, and it was two it was two houses. It was two houses before that because when my grandfather bought it, there was tenants in the bottom in the bottom floor. But after they left, they made it into one house, and my grandfather was retired. He was quite, he was quite old, and my granny started to do bed and breakfast in it. Oh, so they did great. the whole thing. Aye. Aye. It was built in eighteen twenty four, um, and aye, they bought it in nineteen six. My father was born in Glasgow in nineteen twelve, right. and uh, grandfather was a sea captain. Ah, uh, he, he had a uh, he had a foreign going masters. Ticket wow. although he was always just on very, uh, I think, sort of, not very um, fancy boats, you know, um, yeah. c- coasters and coal boats and that kind of thing. Yeah. Running to the continent and himself and my granny went to Hamburg. Nice. Well, he went with him on the boat to Hamburg for their, for their um, honeymoon. For their honeymoon. Oh, yeah. lovely. Yeah, and she wrote, a, she wrote an account of that, which is very interesting. Oh, gosh. Uh, what, was, what, what was Hamburg like? In that? That's pre-war. Uh, oh, pre-first world war. Pre-first, yeah, gosh. Uh, yeah. 1910. 19, oh, yeah. so it's kind of, uh, yeah, Germany was kind of booming at that point. Oh, absolutely. Aye, yeah. yeah. She, she, I'll have to try to find, I think my auntie maybe has it, but but Granny wrote a, a sort of log of the journey, you know, from signing on in Edinburgh and Leith and then going to Hamburg. And the, uh, they had a great trip. That, well, I don't know how much she would have enjoyed it, but mm. they went from Leith to Hamburg. Hamburg to... Preston, Preston to Landudno, and Landudno back up to Irvine, and she paid off in Irvine back up to Glasgow. And it's really interesting because it's written from a woman's perspective. Yes, it's yeah. not talking about the it's not talking about the cargo or much yeah. about the engine or yeah. the navigation. She talks about the crew and the mate and that kind of thing. But she writes a lot about Hamburg, and uh, it's very interesting. Oh, that'd be yeah. amazing! To see, it's yeah. lovely. Aye, yeah. it's written longhand on the ship's note paper. Um, uh, I'll try and get a hold of it. I know it still exists somewhere. Eh? Yeah. Hamburg's an amazing town. I really liked it. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Uh, she wrote things like, it was very difficult to get uh, a cup of tea. Oh, really? Everybody drank coffee. Yes. And she was scandal. Well, I don't know if she was scandalised, but she, th- she thought enough of it to write it down, that people sat outside drinking. You know, obviously wine or alcohol. Yeah. They sat outside. Men, and then underlined, and women too. You know, it was a... It wasn't the done thing in yeah. in the in, in sort of Presbyterian Scotland to be done that, but the, the Germans <laughs> did it, you know. And the Germans, she said, the Germans were, met another fat German. She said the Germans were very fat, according to her, anyway. <laughs> if only she could see us all now. Ah, well, <laughs> I don't know what she would think. Aye, aye, aye. So your, your grandmother and your grandfather, were they from Glasgow originally? No, but Marvin people on the MacDonald side. My grandfather, well, what's how do I explain to you? There's very long, um, there's very long, a, a tendency to late marriage in yeah. the family. Yeah. I was born 90 years after my grandfather. 
Blimey, my grandfather was dead a uh, twelve twelve years when I was born. He died in nineteen forty two. That's extraordinary. Aye. Well, um, he was born. My grandfather was born in eighteen sixty four at a place called Darlin. And Darlin is, doesn't really exist anymore. It would just be a house or two, three houses. And as you know yourself, Darlin, you know, uh, an arrows. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's where Lothrambui and Loch Tugas come together. Okay. At the sort of east end of, of, of Lothrambui, there's a very narrow uh, wee cut. And you could get through with a dinghy. You couldn't get through with anything much bigger. And that takes you through into Loch Tugas. And they were born in there. He went to the school in, he went to school at Kinloch, at Kinloch Tugas. I think Alexander McCall Smith lives in the what was the school oh, up there now. Oh, gosh. He lives in there. And then, uh, oh, they would be sort of itinerant. I mean, I think my great-grandfather, uh, uh, Colin MacDonald, was a, he just described as a ploughman, you know. Yes. And they would be sort of itinerant. And they were over a bit of they went over the hill to the Drimnin side. Because mm-hmm. uh, my, my great-granny was a Cameron. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of Camerons, a lot of Camerons over there. So they were over at Bonneville and then uh, they were up in Achnaha, which is near near Tullock Island. It's only up three or four miles out of Tullock Island. And in fact, there's a stone, there's, a, there's a, a coping stone or a stone with a fence post in it in the wall below Achnaha with his name cut in it. And it says John MacDonald Achnaha, 1882, I think it is. Wow. Uh, I haven't got a good enough picture of it to show you, but I know, I know, but I've been to see it, I've been to see it a few times. Eh? Gosh. So he was from there, and Granny, um, Granny again, Granny was younger. Uh, she was a sinkler. There was a, quite a lot of sinklers about Marvin, uh-huh. and there was until very. I don't think there's any of them left now, but she was from there. Um, but she was born. Her mother was in service to about Greenock, and she was she was born there. And I don't know how they met or anything else. I can't even remember when she was born, but she would have been a lot younger than my grandfather. Eh? Looking in that in terms of historic span, then the, the clearances happened in the time of his father. Then, yes, I suppose so. I suppose so. I mean, if he was born in '64, I suppose his father was born. See, there was a big, it was a big family of them, yeah. and and they, you could hardly believe that from such a big family there could be so few descendants. But there was an awful lot of death. Uh, it would break your heart when you've got children yourself it would break your heart to read the gravestone yeah. and they were dying if they died when they were a week old it would be bad enough but they were dying when they were three and seven yes. and nine and that kind of thing and I think there was about 11 or 12 maybe of them well, they're buried at Kalunig, um which is an old cemetery up behind Bonnewillen up mm-hmm. towards Mungastel they're all buried up there and you read the stone and, and uh, oh, I can't remember all the names now but it's even more confusing because there was a sort of tradition at the time where if a child died if another child was born the same sex, they called them the same name yes. to honour the one that had died. Yes. So in many cases, there's actually two children of the same name on the gravestone. Yeah. And anyway, of all of the ones that were born, eh, my grandfather's the only one that got married. And that was late in life because he got married in, well, he was born in 64 and he got married in, but married in 1910, what was he, 46? Yes, yeah. Aye. Aye. Gosh. Aye. It's a long line. It's a long line, aye. And then my father... Well, my father, my mother, and my father were married, married in '52, and he must have been 40. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then I was married in two uh, heavens above, <laughs> 99, 1990. Right, uh, and I was 37 or 36 yeah. or 37, I think. Uh. Well, on my mother's side, it's more yeah. com- more complicated. But anyway, I uh, guess, but, but, well, that's not that's nothing much really. I mean, there, there were Mackays. There would be Sutherland Mackays. I'd been cleared to Sky and ended up down, and they were mixed up with. Stewarts and McKinvin from Kintyre, and it's a, it's a more of a, it's a more convoluted kind of, more of a more complicated kind of thing going on yeah. there. Um, so West Coast heritage. That's that's one name for it, aye. Yeah. Aye, aye. Oh, absolutely, aye. Oh, definitely, definitely, aye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Springlink, the, the house itself is such an iconic house. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when uh, when I moved to Tobermory, uh, I was very taken with that, and it was fascinating to see what Robert's done with the, with the garden over the years yes, as well. Uh, yes, yes. Um, when you were younger, what was the garden like? Well, my grandfather was a great gardener after he retired, and he had a good he had a good garden. My father liked the garden, but he didn't have a lot of time. So gradually, the garden got kind of the back garden anyway got just kind of got out of control, and it ended up just all being under grass and. Maybe a couple of times in the summertime he would take the scythe and cut it, but that was all it was done. Oh no, it's lovely to see the way it's done now, and it was, it's fine that somebody could afford to do the things that needed to be yeah. done were done to it, because 
to be honest with you, if the man that built it in 1824 had walked into it in 2006, he would, he would say, oh, I remember putting that door on there. Yes, I remember putting on that bit of skirting yeah. because nothing had changed, really, you know, wee bits and pieces. But yeah. Yeah, There's quite a lot of information about it in, um, in the Sheriff Robertson's book, The Mull Diaries. Have you oh, the Mull? I've not got that one. Have you not got that? No, it's difficult to get. It was a, a limited edition by our guy Library Services, and it's the diaries of Sheriff... James Robertson, uh -huh. who was a sheriff substitute of Argyle, and he was in Tipper for four years between 1842 and 1846. And it's a fantastic document. Ooh, I'm going to I, I don't know. There will be odd copies of it around the boat. I don't just know who's got one. Um, yes, um, James Robertson, he was from Athol. Robertson had gone to Edinburgh to ha have, ha make a career in law, and he hadn't been hugely successful, but he had the ear of, of, Jim, of Forbes McNeil of Collinsey. Oh, goodness. And Forbes, I think, was the advocate deputy. Would, would that be right? Would he be the advocate deputy for Scotland at the time? Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, it was obviously difficult to get lawmen to go to the more remote parts of, of the country, so he offered yeah. he offered Robertson, and he went to Stornoway first, and he was to Stornoway first, but he didn't like it, and he came to Tobermurray, and Tobermurray for four years, and he lived in the ground floor in Springbank. Right. And he was the, he was the tenant of a, of a Mary MacLeod who, who, who owned it. And his book is very interesting. If you can get a hold of it, it's just it's fascinating. It's really good. He, he removed to Orkney. As he said himself, MacNeil offered me Orkney. So he went to Orkney and he lived in Orkney for the rest of his life. And he married there and had a family. Again, that's quite a, an older man. He was in his 50s, I think. And I think his descendants are still there. And in the parish church in Tibbermurray, there is a brass plaque on the wall that commemorates his brother and wife who succeeded him as the sheriff in Tupperman. There was a bit of uh, nepotism going yeah, on, I think, right, you know. Yeah. And he was William Robertson right. and his wife Mary Hartley. And they came and they were he was the sheriff here when James moved to Orkney. And in the St Magnus Cathedral in Orkney, with my own eyes, I have seen a plaque commemorating James Robertson. So your dad, people speak with such great affection of your dad, and what what can you say a little bit for the listener uh, about who your dad was and what what he did for a living? Oh well, um, he 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 was born in nineteen twelve, and he, he maybe maybe he had thought about having a career at sea. I know he went to, to sea with my grandfather once or twice when he was about fifteen, but he didn't like it. Although he liked boats. But he didn't like that life, and he didn't pursue it. So he he took an apprenticeship as a joiner, and he worked as a joiner and builder, you know, for a number of years. And then, of course, well, the war came along. I don't know before. I don't know whether he was still doing that before the war. I can't remember. He he was the opposite of most old people when he was old. He couldn't tell you anything about 1935, but he would go out in the morning with 20 things to do, and he wouldn't forget any of them. Mm -hmm. And if you asked him about something from 1950, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. I don't remember that. You know, it was just, he was almost like a computer. He, he would clear the memory to make room for things that were important. Anyway, he was called up in 1942. And luckily for him, he would be 30 by that time and probably just too old for frontline service. So he was in Remy um, in the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. And he was trained, um, they were trained in tank recovery and he drove a scammel. What's that? A scammel, oh, for heaven's sake. Scammel, it's a... Scammel were famous, um, well, lorry, lorry makers. They, they oh, made, okay. Scammel made lorries. Scammel of Watford in, in London. Ah. And they built lorries for the for the war department. Uh, and that would be a Scammel pioneer that he would be on. Mm -hmm. And it would have heavy recovery equipment and they would be recovering tanks or equipment that was, you know, stuck, stuck or damaged on the battlefield and taken it in for repair and that sort of thing. Aye, aye, he went over on he went over on DD plus three or something like that with it and they, he drove it. <laughs> I think they drove nearly the whole way to Italy and back before they were home at 22 miles an hour. Wow, aye, aye, so. that's a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I remember I was up in the Ardennes myself one time on holiday, and, and I remember him saying to me he was never so cold in his life as as he was, and it was a cold place. So, so he came back from there and sort of started off just I suppose started off all over again, and he, he got a lorry, a wee old lorry, and oh, he'll be doing firewood, and then he he bought a coal business, and he was doing coloured gas and. There were a lot of strings to their bow. The coal business was quite a big business. Well, yeah. it would employ two, three people at that time. And he had two, three tippers. Um, 
And the work, of course, in these days was all on the island. Yeah. There was no car ferries, you know, everything came. If it didn't come in brain cargo boats, it came in puffers. And, you know, he would say, I remember him saying that, you know, before the car ferries started, you know, there wouldn't be a day, there would hardly be a day of the year that some of the lorries weren't working empty in a puffer somewhere. Yeah. If it would be coal or lime or sand or whatever it would yeah. be, you know, aye, aye. They were a big part of life. Do they brought all sorts of things. Aye. The calor ga- gas, we talked about this briefly uh, mm-hmm. earlier, but the calor gas cylinders were very tall at the time, weren't they? Well, well there's all various sizes on them, aye. Yeah. aye. They varied from, they would vary from, uh, what, about £65 up to, um, what would these ones be, 200 200 the big red ones about £200, aye. That's aye. very, and, but they didn't have, like, anything Oh, no, 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 no. Well, latterly, I suppose, there was machinery, but... They, no, everything was well. If you go back a wee bit, I mean, everything was done by hand. By hand. Yeah. You know, um, I can see them yet. Before my brains had their own lorries here, which would be after 1964, he had a contract to. In fact, he had it after 64, to take all the goods that went to Benesson and Finneford oh, wow. from Tobermurray because the cargo boats didn't go down there. Yeah. They came into Tobermurray, the stuff was stored there, and then you loaded it onto a lorry and took it away. Yeah. And sometimes hay would come. There was <laughs> nowhere near as much hay as comes now. People made more hay of their own, but yeah. hay would come and uh, they had to put it on fairly high to make a load of it. And um, McLaughlin, as we're talking about earlier, McLaughlin yeah. and Angie and some of the rest of them, they would put the bales on their back and carry them up the ba- God's onto sake. the balcony. Aye. Onto the balcony where the cafe fish is, yeah. so they could get them onto the lorry. You know, put them down over the top. That's insane. And they were, and they were, <laughs> and they weren't the wee, they weren't the wee string tied bales that you get now that weigh about maybe, maybe a, a twenty five kilos or something yeah. like that. They were a full hundred, and they were tied with wire. You know, they were made from a stationary baler, so they would carry them, would carry them up, carry them up onto the balcony, and then put them onto the lorry off the balcony. Oh my god! Uh, but it was the only way. It was the only way it could be done. Right. Right. I mean, the petrol and the diesel. And everything all came in barrels. Yeah. There was no tankers. No, no, no. It came in barrels, and the only way to load the barrels onto the lorries was they had big long skids, yeah. and they rolled the, the, the. There would be two men on the ground, one man on either side of the barrel, and the man on the lorry had a rope, mm-hmm. and the rope went round the barrel, and he pulled to help the, the men on the ground, and then you got them up, and stood them up, and well, it was brutal work, aye, aye. But it was, it was, there was no other way. No they just did it. Aye, they just did it. Uh, one friend described your dad, seeing your dad working uh, particularly as an older man with calor gas cylinders, uh, almost taller than himself. He I said, and just it was like watching a Zen master at work, <laughs> just rolling them around. Oh, he was a hardy man. Yeah. Oh, it was tough. Oh, he was tough. He was a terrible, you know. It was a, it was a bit, of, it was a bit of a legend. Yeah. With a shovel, you know, nobody would, you know, there was plenty of young bucks, even when Ian was probably my maybe sixty, huh? there would be young bucks who go away with him to load a lorry or you know with a shovel and they would go at it like madmen and within 10 minutes they were you know they were worn out and he just he never stopped he just never stopped I, huh? it was tough I was wiry you know he was a he was tall I'm tall like yeah. him but he wasn't heavy like me you know he was he was a wiry man big long arms and long legs and oh tough tough as nails I. Huh? but one of these guys that you know you know I never heard him raise his voice or raise his hand to anybody wow. you know he was a very gentle man very gentleman and um, aye, oh, nice man. Well, and were there other siblings in the family as well, with the brothers and sisters? Of his, yes, two sisters. Aye, there's two, there's two sisters. Two, they were both younger. Uh, one of them, Sheila, she's been dead now for a good number of years. She died in, uh, I think she died in '91, '91. But Jessie, the youngest sister, my goodness, Jessie's still to the fore. She's wow. ni- she's '95. Wow. She lives in Barach in Barachald, and that's what we're talking about earlier. She was a teacher there. She was a teacher. Well, she was a teacher in Tubermary, and then she went over to Marwin and she taught in, in the school at Claggan, which is no longer a school, about three or four miles outside Loch Island. And then when there was word that it would close, she went to, to Barakaldon, and she was a teacher there until she retired. So she's been retired about 30 years now. But Oh, she's remarkable. She still lives at home alone. She needs people to go in and, yeah. and see her, but um, oh, she's, oh, she's tough too, right? <laughs> Right, uh, she's tough. So, in your uh, generation, then, so there's yourself and other brothers and sisters. Uh, three sisters. Yeah. Uh, um, one in Tamarori, one in Bankery, mm. in Aberdeenshire, mm-hmm. and one in Thurso. Uh, nice part of the country. It's like just a nice so. part of the country. Yeah. It's a nice part of the country. Very different. Very uh, different. It's very different. Uh, yeah. I've not been up for a few years. Uh, I'm sure it's five years, maybe since five or six years since I was up. But um, when she left college, she, she went to uh, Jordan Hill to do teacher training mm-hmm. and she did that successfully and she said that 
I think maybe maybe jobs weren't so plentiful at the time. And I remember saying to my mother, I'm going to take the first job I'm offered, I don't care where it is, and get me on the ladder. And that was the first job she was offered, and she's been there ever since. Uh, my sister in Aberdeen, she's married to Patrick, and, uh, but she has, well, she, she's, a, she's a marine biologist by wow. profession, yeah. but she's now got, um, she's now the deputy director of the Food Standard Agency in Scotland. So she's, um, keep her busy? Uh, well, at the moment, I think the Brexit oh, is just that. driving her insane, I think, yeah. the, she says herself, if there was a, if there was a plan... We could we would know what to do, but there's no plan, so we don't know what to do. And my other sister Jane, who was next in age to me, she she was the secretary in the police station until we married for a long time. She's now retired. Right. Um, and then there's me. I'm the oldest. Uh, yeah. What did your mum do for for living? She trained as a teacher. Right. She was a teacher, and she was the teacher. She didn't work that long at teaching before she got married and had the family. Uh, and she was back once. Her Twice, a few times into Murray School. But her, <laughs> her first job was that she was the teacher in Greeban. Do you know the wee tin building? Yeah, the wee on the, the, with the red roof. Yes, that's the one. I, I know you like red roofs, Alistair. <laughs> <laughs> I know all the buildings. Yes, the I, well, she was the teacher in there. Right, um, gosh. Oh, I don't know. Um, I think from maybe from 1950 to 52 or to 53 or something like that. Because mm-hmm. right, they got married in 52, so she probably gave it up after that. I was born in 54. Um yeah, she taught there, and then um, just, well, I'm saying just was a housewife, that's not fair. Um, just brought up, brought the, up the family, aye. Yeah. And we'd take, um, she got, used to get spells of work in the school, she did, she would cover cover various people if they were off and that kind of thing, and um, did bed and breakfast in the house. So there was a bit, a bit of potential for that, a bit of income there, so she did that, and Dad uh, worked away. Um, he sold he sold the or gave up, he sold the coal business or gave up the coal business in the middle well in the middle of the late sixties right. and just concentrated on on the truck uh, himself. He got a new lorry, the only one he ever had. He got it in 1966, and he worked away with that. And ah, there was plenty to do. And then in seventy five he packed it up and he went to work with the council, huh. driving the the, the 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 that was after regionalisation yeah. and the council there was no more town council yeah. you know we went to the regional lines. councils and, and district councils and they decided to put um, trucks on to do the refuse all around the island so he just we went to work on them and he worked there till he till he packed up with that and then he just carried on he just carried on yeah as he got older he just did less you know yeah. but he kept he kept doing the gas until he finally he was sadly fit to do it anymore and and uh, well he was eighty five by that time right enough so. That's fair enough. Aye, aye. Yeah. He was, like myself, he was bad with arthritis, his shoulders were sore and that. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, ah, he packed it up after that time. Mm-hmm. But no, there was always something, aye. Aye. There was always something. When did, where did your working life start? How did you, what is your working life? What did you start as? Oh dear, uh, well nothing very grand. Um, I left school at Tiburmary in, in 69 and, uh, and at the end of fourth year and went to school in Oban for two years because... Yeah. My mother had aspirations for me, as mothers always do, and it's only when you get a wee bit older that you realise that they did know best and you should have listened. But anyway, I think there'll be a lot, great many people who tell that same story. So I went to school in Oban. Didn't I? Didn't I? Wasn't school wasn't for me. I didn't like it. Um, I was more interested in mechanical things and mm. practical things. You know, uh, um, uh, I was sort of like the butler in in some ways. You know. I like to know he he would be uh, he's a very inquiring, a very clever man. He had a very inquiring mind, you know, and he needed to know. He was almost like a child. Mm-hmm. You almost needed to know why. Mm-hmm. You couldn't satisfy him by saying that that's how it is. He would say, "But why?" You know, and he had to find, had to know. And I'm a wee bit like that myself. Right? Yeah. Right. So anyway, um, I, when I left there, I went to work. Went to work with with Kenny McIntyre, the late Kenny McIntyre. Oh. I don't know if you've heard of Kenny McIntyre. Was that Angus McIntyre's son? He was one of Angus McIntyre's sons, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was a great guy. And he became a he was a political political correspondent with, with the BBC when he died. Yeah. Yeah, Kenny had a Kenny had a building business and uh, it was quite a big business and he had the work to to reconstitute the distillery. When the distillery was being turned back into a distillery in seventy I think it would be 71 or 72 or something like that. And I worked there with him for a, for a year or two. And uh, that, was a, that, was <laughs> that was an education. Uh, what was the work like? What, what, what were the... Uh, it, was la- it was just labouring. Oh, no, no, that was a specialist job. There was people came from people came from the northeast to do that. No, no, we just did the labouring, stripped the building out bare and then 
we made you know opened made new doors, new windows, and put in suspended floors. Did a lot of concrete work, roof work, and I was just labouring there. I mean, uh, um, mm-hmm. but it was interesting, and it was it was it was interesting, and you got to you learned a lot. And then after I was there, I went to work with a company called Rank and Sand Bank, who were doing the road. They did the first bit of double track road from Salon, I well from the bridge from the bridge in Salon. We come into Salon to Corrie. They went at Leicester, a kind of five-mile section there, and simultaneously they were doing a bit from uh, Loch Don to uh, Loch Bui Crossroads. So I worked with them for a couple of years uh, on diggers, dumpers and that kind of thing, driving, um, and then, where did I go after that? I worked, with, I think I worked with Gordon Hasper for a wee while, driving his digger and spreading lime and mm. uh, with a caterpillar and things like that. Where was Gordon Harper based? Gordon was based in Tupperware. Um, he, he, he was based in Tupperware. He was married to one of the Carmichaels and he had a business. Uh, well, latterly he had, a, he had a lorry business, quite a big lorry business. Poor Gordon died there recently. He, 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 removed, he belonged to Aberdeen mm-hmm. and he and his wife had removed back to that part of the country when, when he, he, he took badly and, he, and unfortunately he died. Um, but he had a sort of agricultural contracting at that time. You know, he did a digger and he did you know, all sorts of ploughing and all sorts of work. I worked with him briefly. And then I was working with a firm from Airdrie um, on, on diggers and cranes and things, doing um, water, water, water works and just general civil engineering. And then ah, the work was a bit scarce. We got that job was finished and we got paid off. And there was a bit of work here and... I got the chance to buy an old lorry that had belonged to Kilachron and Estate. Kilachron and Estate had gone bankrupt, or something had happened to it anyway, and they were selling stuff off, so I put in a silly offer for the lorry, thinking, well, I might be able to do something with it, and I bought it, and uh, well, the, rest is, yeah. the rest is history. It was a sort of uh, something that I did that I thought might keep me going for a few weeks until yeah. something better came along. It's a long couple of weeks. It was a long couple of weeks. That's 40 <laughs> years past, and it'll be 41 years in April. Gosh. Right. Gosh. Right. Uh, it was a good lorry. <laughs> I got, in fact, it's probably the best lorry I ever had. I bought it for three hundred and sixty pounds, and I sold it five years or six years later for three hundred and twenty. I think that's a good investment. I was thought it was a good investment, and I don't think I don't think I had spent that on it in the time I had it, and I've never I've never had one since it was as good as that. But, what was it? Was it a Bedford? It was a Commer. It was a Commer. They weren't a particularly popular make at that time. They were a wee bit old fashioned. The cab didn't tilt and that kind of thing. But they were they were, they were well made. They were quite good lorries, you know. Um, and uh, no, it gave very good service, eh? Yeah, aye. and um, aye, oh, well, so money, money was, you know, I think younger people don't don't maybe understand. Money was hard. Money, there wasn't a lot of money about the place then, and even before that, money was money was scarce, and it was difficult for ordinary people to get their hands on money. You know, no, nobody, nobody would have dreamt of building their own house. Hmm. You know, everybody was wanting to, you know, there would be the list for a council house and, yeah. you know, a house. Ordinary, ordinary hourly paid people, if they went to the bank looking for money, they would just be shown the door. Yes. You know, yeah. it's easier now. I mean, you can, you know, there's more money. Well, there's more debt. Uh, it's easier. Yes. It's, it, it, there's not, there isn't any more money, but it's easier to be in debt. Uh. I think that's it. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. money to be made from debt. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so when you your first jobs with the lorry, what what sort of things were you doing with the lorry? Ach, just lo- it was just local work to begin with. Uh, no, I, I don't think I would have been off the island with it in the first couple of years, and then after that, just started to do a bit more and a bit more. Probably the best thing that ever happened was it was a big fishing of of clams here at the time of, of scallops, oh, really? uh, and it was quite big fleets of boats used to come about. There was boats came from Tarbert and Carradale, uh, Ayr, Kirkubri, Annan, Malig, Oban, boats from all over the place. Mainly boats that had been sort of displaced from, from Herring. A lot of them would have been boats that would have fished at Herring at one time, and the Herring was, was closed by that time, so a lot of them re-rigged for, for scallops. And, uh, in the spring of the year, there would be quite a big fleet working out here, and they would land into Murray you know, maybe a couple of nights a week. So that was, that, was good, that was good money. I mean, you had to be there at all hours of the night, but that didn't matter. There was good money at that, and that gave you a load off the island. So if you could get anything to come back at all, you know, it was a bonus. So we were always, you know, you maybe take a load into Oban in the morning. Sometimes you had to go further afield with it, but usually, usually it was going to a lot of different buyers, and the buyers were all over the country. From I mean, some of it would go to Dingwalls, Aberdeen, odd times some of it would go to Campbell, some of it would be going to Malig, some of it would be going to Kirkubri. You couldn't, you couldn't go to all these places yourself. So very often you just met up in Oban in the morning with. 
smaller vehicles and you know unloaded onto them and they went away to the various destinations with it and uh, I would maybe go to Fort William and load a load of building blocks or concrete blocks or bricks or something and bring them back and oh no it was fine I, then we started to get more into agricultural work, a bit of hay and straw and animal feed and beet pulp and that kind of thing, and that was that was a wee bit seasonal, but it worked out quite well because at the same time the fish farms were getting a bit more active, and in the spring of the year, when the farm work started to get quiet, um, we used to move live fish yeah. uh, from the hatchery at Knock out to um, the various farms, just well ones on the, on the island here and also some of the ones over in Morven. It wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. There was no heli- well, the heli- well, when the helicopters came along, that was the death of it uh, yeah. for a few years. Um, although they've gone back to more road work now, so there would, you would get the farm work in the summer time, and then there was the the, 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 the live fish, and we would have two or three lorries working at that. And then later on, the, the, the bigger the fleet of scallop boats would increase in the summer time, and um, aye, oh, no, it was fine. Aye, it was fine. And there wasn't many quiet spells really. Aye. And it's always just been yourself, or have you had other vehicles? No, well, no. I just I stuck to myself. Um, a, a number of times, you know, people have said to me, "Oh, you know, if you put on another lorry, we would give you this and another that." And if, but then, ugh, no, I, I I wasn't very not very bold like that. You know, um, I was just happy doing as much as I could do myself. Yeah. Uh, and you had no. You didn't, you didn't need, there was no worry about keeping somebody else working or making sure that somebody had a pay and that yeah. responsibility and and ugh, well it would have probably involved borrowing money and I didn't want to do that either I just tended to work away with yeah. you know if I, if I couldn't pay for it I, then I couldn't have it sort of thing yeah right, so yeah. Um, with the result I've never ever had a new vehicle in all these years but oh. um, yeah, it's never done me any harm oh, done me any harm and then um, well. There was ugh, various things happened in the farming side of it. A lot of the feed mills closed, and and there was less there was less choice as to where you bought things. And there was a lot of cattle went off mill. I mean, there been a big decline in the number of cattle in mill over the last thirty or forty years, and the market was getting tighter, and there was more pressure, and I and I had a, an opportunity to go and do more work with the fish farms, and I thought, well, I think this is the way to go. So I went to work with them, and I've been working for them very happily. Well, I don't. That's not the only thing I do, but yeah. I've done a lot of work for them over the last. 20, 20, well, more than, well, more than 20 years, maybe 30 years nearly. Um, we don't do as much now because there is, there's less there's less work now because the feed, all the feed used to come by road and it mainly all comes by sea now, it all comes by boat. So we don't have so much to do, but there's plenty, there's plenty to do. Aye. So that's going to where we are at the moment and um, just jogging along. Aye. <laughs> Your work takes you right round the country. Oh, not really, no, not really. Um, I try to, I try to stay in Scotland. Yeah. Not for any, not for any, not for any other reason than just it's. it's You're always five hours from home. Well, yes, um, pretty much. I mean, I mean, ten hours is the most you can drive in a day, and you can only do that two days a week. So. If you're, it's very un, it's very un, it's very uncommon or unusual for me to go anywhere that's more than five hours. Yeah. Um, but if you do that, then the jobs run into another day. You know, it runs into maybe a, a job that's only take two days runs into three. And um, if you're busy, Work it would take longer time. to do the job than the price was worth. So it's good to be able to just maybe do around around trip in a day or um, in twenty four hours anyway. Uh, so I know an odd foray down into the north of England. Sometimes if we're going down that way, we'll maybe take a load of timber to to to, to Cumbria down to Workington or something, uh, and occasionally go to down to Yorkshire for a maybe a shed or something like that. You know, for a, for a, a prefabricated shed. And mm. I have oh, had a few, had <laughs> a few interesting jobs over the years. Right enough. I. What's the what, what are the ones that stick out for you? The the, the real challenges. Oh well, <laughs> challenges. Well. Or, or well, bizarre. Most of, the, <laughs> most of the challenges were done at night. It's amazing what you can do at night that you wouldn't dare to do through the day. But anyway, it's when no one's watching. Aye, well, never mind. Anyway, that's another story entirely. Um, oh, I don't know what would be the what would be the kind of drollest thing. Well, an aeroplane to Blackpool once. Right. Aye. Aye. From Glenforce, or what? Well, it was a wee aeroplane James Knight had. Oh, aye. A wee red aeroplane, and uh, well, it was a very small thing, and. I think, um, <laughs> well, I don't know. I think after maybe various near-death experiences, James decided he would sell the plane and somebody bought it and it was to go to Blackpool Airport. So he had dismantled it and uh, uh, Rory Curry and I and him loaded it on. It must have been the first job we did 
after New Year. It was it was a bit bad, but just this time of year. And we were ahead playing and I had it in the back of the lorry and there was a lot of interesting comments as I was going on the C V when I was going down the motorway so I thought I'd talk about Joe Ninety and Thunderbirds are go oh, and that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> so uh, that's probably the sort of oddest yeah. thing that we shifted in. Another day I was in Glasgow well I was down in Kirk and Teller for a load of conjugate blocks for some building that was going on. I got a phone call from a man I know in Glasgow at Hebrides Hollis, Murdo MacDonald and, and he said to me, Oh, I was wondering who you were, he said, I've got a lot of carpets to go to the Isle of Mill Hotel. Um, broadlooms, it's a big, it's a big thing. A broadloom, a full-size broadloom. And he said, "Do you think you would manage them?" And I said, "When does it need to be done?" Murdoch? Oh, well, well, not before too long. I said, "Well, I'm in Glasgow today." I said, "Do you think they would go and talk for a load of blocks?" Oh, I'm sure they would. Uh, you know, Murdoch was, Murdoch was a man for a challenge too. So anyway, uh, I went in on the way back with the blocks, and he had fifteen carpets. So we made a pyramid of them on top of the blocks, five on the bottom, and then four, and then three, and then two, and then one, the roof of a house, you know, it's a big pile. So, secured them and set off up the road, and uh, went to the hotel with them, I think it was in the morning. I think a broadland would need four men, three three strong men anyway, to carry it, maybe four men to carry it. So the carpet guys were there, but um, there wasn't enough of them, so they went away in, and they got the electricians, and the joiners, and everybody else that was there, and they came out, and they weren't local guys, but they were, they were able enough, and uh, we started taking them off, and there was a wee fella standing back looking at a, a wee guy, I don't know what he was, but I said, now what are you, what are you thinking? Ah, he said to me, you can you're in the hillings when the carpets and the bricks comes in the same water. <laughs> he was kind of thinking to himself that it was kind of bizarre that yeah. the, the very the very basics and the finishings were all coming at the same time. So yeah. uh, yeah, that was a bit of an adventure too, but anyway. So coming back to Tobermory, growing up in Tobermory, what was what was it like to grow up in Tobermory when you were? It was the sixties when you were growing up. Sixties, aye, aye, I'd be six in nineteen sixty. Aye, what was it like? Oh, I don't know. You don't think about it, do you? No, no, no. It's just the way it was. What did you do for fun? What were the kind of adventures you would have? Oh, well, we always had a boat. Ah, right? yeah. we had a boat. Dad had a big, a lovely big, a lovely big boat. Unfortunately. It got neglected, you know, and it was wasted away in the end. But no, we didn't. We were always out in the boat. We'd, oh, even when I, when I think about it now, you know, <laughs> parents would never allow their children to do the things things then that we were doing, you know, and we wouldn't have life jackets or anything. No. You know, we would be, well, we would be more than six, but maybe be 10, 11, 12. And we'd be away in the boat and we'd be away around the bay or the length of the lighthouse and we'd creels out and oh, you know, that kind of thing. Aye, yeah. it was good. It was great. Aye, aye. And then... Um, I was always well. There was, there was by that time there was fishing boats about the place. Robin Cow had a boat, and 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 Alistair Gimmick had a boat, mm-hmm. and then well the other ones came along along a wee bit later. But they were always a great source of you know you'd always be down about them. Oh and 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 Ewan McLean too. Ewan McLean that was a wee bit later too though. He had a boat. Ah, anything to do with fishing and boats and and the, uh, like I was saying to there would be puffers. You know there would always be puffers and yeah. um, when were we. The, it was nearly always the same puffer that brought our coal. It was a puffer called the Envercloy, and she was still steam. And that she was built in 1930 or 34, I think. I can't remember. She was one of the last steam ones that was coming about that much. Um, a man, Donald Ross, was a skipper on there. He was from he was from Appen, mm-hmm. uh, and it was great. We 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 would when would we would go down on the steam winch. They had steam winches on them for working the cargo, and the steam winch. Um, exhausted out through the out through the bulwarks, you know, on the on the starboard side, and there'd be a huge cloud of steam, you know, when the why a big cloud of steam when the bucket was going up, and we used to go and we would stand in the steam, you know, and I can smell it yet, you know, the lovely smell of the steam, and when we were, that would be a great thing, and oh, we'd be down in about the boat, and um, but I just footering about with that, and then there'll be you know there'll be lorries running up and down the hill, maybe boats would be at the brain pier with road surface and stuff for the council and that kind of thing and you'd always be trying to get a run up and down the road in the lorries when you were wee, you know. Oh, ah, just things nice. like that, aye, aye. Yeah. I can't think what we did, but we did all sorts of things, I would. But, but probably, just what kids do, you know, yeah. I just... Yeah. But it was a different, well, I was going to say it was a different place, it was the same place, it's just the people that are different, yeah. I suppose. Um, 
Boats have still been part of your life now. Oh, aye, oh, I like boats. I, I like boats, and I like. I've, I, well, I've got, I've got, I've got several boats. None of which, none, none of which work <laughs> uh, at the moment. Anyway, they're not technically they're, they're, boats. No, anymore. well, they are. Well, they are, and as much as that, they would float if I put them in the water. But that's about all you would do with them. I have a lovely wee boat, a wee sixteen-foot boat with a, an inboard engine. I really like it, and perhaps one of these days, if I. If I give up work, I'll maybe, well, we'll not make any promises, but anyway, mm-hmm. I've got, I know, I know, I like boats and I like the sea and I like fishing and, um, yeah. as I say, it's still a bit of creels out. And, Where were the best places it, to, to, to go for, for creel, for, for lobsters oh, or prawns? Well, or? at that time, <laughs> at that time you could nearly put one off the, I've seen the wee Henry McMillan used to have creels underneath my brain's pier and they would have lobsters in them and, Aye, but you look at that now right enough, but no, there wasn't the same amount of, well, there wasn't the same effort, there wasn't the same amount of gear in the water uh, in these days. I mean, you would you could have put, you know, 15 prawn creels out in the bay into a marae and you would have got a lovely feed any day you wanted. But you'd maybe get an odd one yet, but not so many. And did you ever go over to Loch Sooner at all? Aye, we used to go, well, we, 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 the Sterks was a favourite place. We used to go to the Sterks. Uh, that was a good place for caddies and lithe and that kind of thing over there, you know, and fish there. Um, Maybe when we were a wee bit older, maybe when we were... I was going to say, what was it like going across the centre of Mull? Do you remember the first time you steered across uh, yourself? No, not really. Well, well, we used to row. Right, OK. Oh, aye, aye. That's never. a heck of a journey. Uh, it's not as far as you would think. If you've got, you know, something that should have... Something that would have maybe be three of us and you could get four oars. Oh, you know, somebody in the middle with two and one aft and one forward. It was quite a big dinghy. It was 16 feet. Uh, and you could you could ah you could get a fair speed up with it oh it doesn't take long no, no it doesn't take long as long as the tide's not too strong um, no <laughs> oh dear me no oh yeah when I think about it now eh? if it was your own kids you'd be in the horrors yeah you know why eh? we had an engine latterly right enough I, got, I don't know did Robin give us an engine with a wee seagull outboard on the stern of it and we used to go out with that myself and Winker were uh, we were great great men for for uh, expeditions like that eh? mm-hmm. yeah. I can just fish in Mackerlin Aye, it was just a ploy, you know. And as a young man, then when it came to kind of going out and about, where would you where would you go and kind of for dances and things like that? <sighs> I was never a dancer. Well, I, <laughs> I was never a dancer. I can't dance a step. I never could. I wish I could, but I can't. I don't. I'm I'm sort of reasonably musical, but I don't mm. have any rhythm somehow. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I'd never. I could never dance. I don't. I don't do it at all. Mm. Um, where would you go? Well, I was dances everywhere, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But getting there was a the problem, you know. We didn't have cars. Nobody had much. Of, well, we had cars, if you could call them cars. But I've said to people many a time, you know, as you know, I, I take away old cars. I mean, yeah. one of my things that I do is I, I take away these what are known today as end-of-life vehicles. Yes. And I kind of pick them up and take them away for recycling, just to give me a load to take away down the road and, and, and make a wee bit of, of revenue from them. Yeah. And, and many a time, you know, I've looked at cars that's on the back of the lorry and I'm thinking to myself, if I had that car when I was 17, I would have been a prince. Just an absolute prince, you know. You think, what, you know, there's, it doesn't look as if there's anything wrong with them, but because of the, they're so complicated and um, the parts are expensive, people just oh, throw it away and get another one. Again, the, the, the so much easier now to get credit, yes. so much easier to get money. Yeah. At one time, we would have kept cars going till they wouldn't go another inch. Yeah. But now, oh, it's not worth fixing it, we'll just throw it away and get another one. One of the one of the core things, I guess, that's at thank you uh, at, at the core of of what you do is is the human connection, actually being connecting with people and you know relating to people, and so you must you must have picked up stories galore over your years and travelling of you know people telling you things and just being with with people in general. What would you say? What would you say the kind of the importance of 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 story and the importance of that connection remains to be in our in our lives today? Bit of an abstract question, I know, but I, I well, I don't know, Alistair. It's it's it, what would be important to some people is is quite unimportant to others. You know, I mean, I'm half my head full of nonsense, hmm. and but it's nonsense to you, but it's but it's not really. It's the it's it's stuff that matters. Well, it, does it matter? I don't know if it does. It does. Suppose it matters. I suppose it matters a wee bit right enough, and. I meet people who are not much younger than me who, who find it remarkable the things that I know, the things that I remember, but just just the kind of person that you are, I think. Yeah. A lot of people confuse knowledge and intelligence. They're I not the same thing. I completely agree. Yeah. They're not the same thing. Yeah. You know, people, if, if, you, if you can spout a lot, if you can tell a story or you know things, people think you're clever, but you're not really clever because it's not original thought. It's, no, it's, 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 it's received wisdom. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not... It's not 
It's the difference between original thought and, and received wisdom, really. Yeah. Aye, aye. Yeah. Is it important? Well, I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't be the best judge of that. It's, it's, it's nice to know these things. It's nice to, to know. I, 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 I like knowing things. I'm always interested. I'm interested in, as my father was, interested in almost everything, you know. Um, and you listen. You listen, and if you, I think if you, I think if you, I think you know, a, a, a fellow that I know in Calendar, you know, he said to me one time, you know, how, how do you know all these things? And I said, well, you only know them because, on the one hand, you have to be exposed to the information, and you have to be inclined to absorb it. And if you're the kind of person who's inclined to absorb it, then you become knowledgeable. Aye, aye, aye. Um, I suppose it's. It's not for me to judge whether it's important or not. Really, no. And that, uh, no, no, I think that covers covers into it very well. And you have a family yourself yeah, as well. Yes, oh yes, yeah. aye, aye. Oh, I was blessed with a, a lovely family, yeah. yeah. Uh, my oldest daughter, Arlene, she, um, she'll be 28 on Tuesday. <laughs> she's in Melbourne. Right. Yeah, oh, she's a great girl. Yeah. Um, she went to university and did a degree in maths. Went to, went to Australia, and she was there for a couple of years. Was in Tasmania, and she was in South America. Uh, well, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. She, she wanted to stay in Australia. She met a very nice boy there, and she wanted to stay, but they wouldn't let her stay, even with her degree. Um, so they had to leave, and uh, they ended up in Dubai, and they were in Dubai for a couple of years, and then um, they she came back to this country and did a postgraduate teaching degree. So did that and then did her year's probation in this country. So they're off back to Australia. She's been there for the last three or four. She's been there for the last three or four months, and starts work as a teacher in Melbourne on Monday, I think. Or, uh, so she's hopeful. She's hopeful this time that she'll, she'll get to stay. Yeah. Um, she's 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 dauntless, Eileen. You know nothing daunts her. Um, She'll find a way to do a thing. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew's just a, uh, he's a 13 months younger. Andrew was born in, in March 92. Uh, he's a great guy too. And he um, he lives in Glasgow. He did a, he did a, he's got a master's degree in mechanical engineering. And he works for Hewlett Packard. Right. In Erskine. Gosh. Uh, and enjoys that. Um, and he's got a lovely girlfriend too. And then our youngest girl, Ruth, uh, she was born in 95. She... Um, lives down in, in, well, she's just moving just now. She lives in Morecambe with her boyfriend, a nice fellow from Ayrshire, and um, she works, I think she sort of manages a farm shop and restaurant place in Lancaster. So they're all doing a wee fine, aye. Yeah, they're doing fine. Oh, they're a great, they're a great crowd. We don't, we don't meet up as often as we should, but um, yeah. we, uh, oh, we get together from time to time and uh, great company, you know. Aye, aye. Yeah. Uh, it's the best family is the most important thing. Oh, it is. Oh, absolutely it is. Aye. 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 Yeah, absolutely it is. Aye. Yes, they did all the things I, I sometimes wish I had done, but oh, well, there you are. I was never a great child, but I was, I was quite old before I was ever on a plane. Yeah. I'm sure I was, well, I would be well in my 40s anyway. Aye. Oh, aye, aye, aye. I was never on a train until I was about, no, late 30s. Really? No, <laughs> no, no. Oh. no. Uh, what would it be? I'd be 40. Well, the kids were all... The kids were all born, so it must have been after something after ninety-five, maybe. I, I, I would be, I would be thirsty. I'm well in my thirties, where I was having a plane anyway. And was that going on holiday or something? I, that was just going. Over. I've been a few times now, right enough. Um, um, yes, we were going on holiday. We were going to think we went to Luxembourg that time. I think that's the first time I was having a plane. But I've been in Finland and I've been in Germany. I've been in Thailand and I've been in Dubai and. Have you been to Thailand? That's halfway there to. Ah, well, it's right enough. I, it's right enough. I, I, I was. I, I like Thailand. I, yeah. I like the people in the north anyway. So I'd love to go. Uh, it, it's really interesting. It's and and the, the the Buddhist people in the north part of it were I thought were lovely people, and we had a lot to learn from them. You know, a lot of them were pretty poor. I mean, not 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 starving, but they were pretty poor. They hadn't got a lot, you know, and but they were very uh, happy. We, we had a lovely time there. My, my ex-wife, um, mm. her brother lived there at the time, and he he had a good job, and uh, he organised a great itinerary for us and we had a fantastic time and we were when we were there too we were we, in that, that part we're in, in the Andaman Sea there's, there's an area where there's a massive massive number of sea stacks mm. huge stacks yeah, huge um, limestone stacks that's where Man with the Golden Gun was filmed yeah, well, we were there we were out on that um, well they called it James Bond Island or Pee yeah. Island or some of these we were out there I, 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 oh, so it's good crap it's, it's limestone cursed well it would be limestone it would be yeah. and, you know and 
I had been at, I must have been the year I was 50, which would be, whatever, 2004. And that same year, I had a good year. I'd been at St Kilda. Oh. Uh, I'd been at St Kilda, went to Rob, St Kilda with Robert Barlow on the Elizabeth G. We were away for a week, and it was just, I think it was probably the best thing I ever did. I enjoyed it more than anything I ever did. And um, uh, there was some talk about the stacks, and I'm thinking, well, you know, they're, they're a lot bigger than the stacks at St Kilda, and there's more of them, but... You know, it was a different environment. Yeah. It was a benign, yeah. warm, the sea was shallow, you could see the bottom, and the stacks were covered in vegetation. And, you know, you thought, well, if you fell in the water here, you'd last for a fortnight, you know. But there's a menace in St Kilda. There's a menace, it's a menacing place, I thought. You know, I enjoyed it. But you thought to yourself, I think maybe if you know a wee bit about boats and you know a wee bit about the sea, you're saying to yourself, one wrong move here and you'll not be going home. You know, it was a dangerous place, and by God, there were hardly the folk that lived that survived there. I, it was a poor day that he went across, isn't Kelland? Um, it was a poor day, but anyway, we got across, and then we were there for a couple of days, and oh, we had a great time altogether. It's somewhere I'm desperate to see. Oh, fantastic! Just incredible place. I, I really was affected by it. Um, uh, what how affected you? How? I think just, I think just realizing. The, 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 how powerless their existence had been, you know, and thinking to yourself in the name of the wee man, you know, you know when you were in bother here, you were really in bother. Yeah. They came off in 1930, but there had been a sort of decline, I think, for the previous good number of years. I think loss of children. And... I think just, I think just maybe outside influences, and then the war, and then there was actually shelled by a German submarine in the First World War. They were shelled. A German submarine came into Village Bay and, sh- and, shelled, and shelled, them, shelled them. I don't think anybody was killed, but they did shell them. Uh, and they, and they, had, they, they gave them a gun after that. There's, it might still be there. There's a, there's a gun, there's an old field gun or a ship's gun or something there. But I don't know whether it worked or not. But just imagining them climbing the cliffs. And I've, I'd, read the, I'd read the book. I'd read well, one of the many books. I can't remember who wrote it. But, the Life and Death of St Kilda. Uh, no, I think it was Island on the Edge of the World, I think, was the one I read. And, and I remember... Oh, I can't remember who. It wasn't Marjorie Kennedy Fraser. It was some. It was some Victorian lady traveller who wrote books, and and she said that. Um, she said that to anyone who has seen a St Kilda cragsman at work, the the wildest exploits of leotard and Blondin fade into insignificance. Well, I have a fair, I think I have a fairly strong sense of belonging. I like to be from here. Well, I think I said to you earlier, the place, the place doesn't change. Just the people, the people change. The place doesn't change. And maybe, maybe because of the way that the people have changed, maybe it's more important, or maybe it's not important at all. I don't know to try to remember the way it was and and see the changes. Oh, the changes are big. I mean, everybody has a different take on things, take yeah. on things a different opinion of it. Um, there's, there's no doubt that there's no doubt that those of us who, who always were here didn't always see the potential in the place. You know, we didn't. We, we needed outside eyes to see that, and you'll, you'll see that the majority of people who are involved in in maybe tourist services are are not native people. You know, the native people have tended to stick with. What they always did. I mean, there are exceptions. There are some people who've done yeah. very well and who've seen, who've seen where the potential, the where the money was to be made. And yeah. and some of us, some of us are catching up a wee bit now. But you, a lot of people come to live here, and you think to yourself, what on earth do they want to come here for? You know. But we don't realise how bad they, their life was where they were before, or how bad they think it was. Yeah. And this is going to be much better. Um, so th- they 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 saw what we took for granted. I think. Right. And I think that. Maybe it's less so. Maybe less so now. But my generation didn't see the potential. We didn't see the potential of the place. I don't think. No. There's such a lot going on, Alistair. It's such the place is so prosperous. It's very prosperous, and it's very prosperous and uh, forward going. 
Yes, I, there's a lot of yeah, particularly uh, community owned organisations and community run organisations yes. are looking very they're looking very far ahead. Yes, they are. Uh-huh. Yes, know, like the Woodland Company, the the, uh, the dividends from that are not going to come for a number of years no, yet. Still, but no. yet they're still creating work. No, and for people. No, in the, no that's right. No. Well, but the only thing I'm well, the only thing I'm kind of involved in to any extent is that I'm, I'm on the board in the, the Harbour Association in Tullamore. Yes, and that's been a big success, and that's yes. been. You know, and there's more to come. And there's more to come, and people, you know, and that's it's mainly been it's I mean it's a, it's a mature business now, but it was mainly driven to begin with by goodwill yes. and, and and people doing things, you know, people like Alistair Gimach and and, and and Winker and Brian and mm-hmm. guys like that mm-hmm. who were in it at the beginning and drove it forward and and it's um, I think a very good example of sort of community enterprise and yes. it brings a lot of. It gives it gives advantage. I mean, it's, it's sort of ethos is to give as much advantage as possible to as many people as possible. Um, and it's been quite successful in that respect. Mm-hmm. Although it, the business on a day-to-day basis is a perfectly viable business, but we'll never be able to fund uh, capital projects from income. You know, for large capital projects, we need we know we need grant funding, and yeah. that's not been so easy to get this last week. Well, we're getting we're getting there slowly. The thing we're I remember that was uh, <laughs> before the aquarium came along mm-hmm. uh, was the the diorama of how the sewage in Tobermory works. That was oh, yes. like, so uh, for God's sake, that's yeah. not a visitor attraction. No, no, all. no, that's right. No, there was a, comes from here and goes right, <laughs> and it goes down there. Aye, well, that's another that's another another subject altogether. Yeah, and a fascinating one, but not uh, worthy of. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think it should be. In the papers, perhaps no, no. no. But yeah. it's all—it's well. It's kind of largely sorted out now, I think. But yeah. um, it does seem a wee bit crazy. But um, uh, that's the world we live in, now. Indeed. So, seem... one thing I'm curious uh, to know as well: Are there any good ghost stories of Tobermory that you remember, or uh, the islands that are anywhere that you've come across that you, that that really went? Oof. I think any of these sort of episodes that sort of relate to Mal, somebody will have written them down already. You know, Eamon Hume Bake and all these ones, but. I don't, I can't think of many kind of, there was all sorts of when you were wee, you know, the, the big ones would frighten you with stories of the grey lady, you know, you can't go up there, you might meet the grey lady. Who was that? Up the, up the road to Craigan Park, you know, but it would just be to, it would just be to keep you at home, you know. Right. Uh, I always got up and I met the grey lady, you know, that's just like um, Harry uh, Mary kind of thing, you know. Yeah, aye, 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 yes, aye. But, but I've heard of people who've had these experiences, but no, I've, no, I don't think I've ever had any of them. I had a, a slightly strange experience at Terlois one day with a man who's still living. Andrew and I were down at Portranach one day. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were looking at the slipway and we were looking at was Creedle Snat. And a man who lives uh, locally, uh, still to the fore, and uh, well-known in the area, and he, he, he appeared almost from nowhere. And we, we spoke and had a conversation with him and... Uh, talked about a lot of different things and boats and gear and all the rest of it and he we kind of said curio and we walked down towards the slip towards the wee pier at Portranach and I don't think we had taken 10 paces when I turned round and the man had disappeared as if he had gone straight into the ground Aye. I don't know where he went and I don't know where he came from and there was nothing nothing at all sinister about him or anything else but mm. he just vanished he came he came from over and he he, he vanished. Uh, he vanished. I said, Andrew, where did that man go? I don't know. He said, I wasn't looking. But, it, you know, the, the path, the there's path a, a zigzag path yeah, from yeah. Potranach up to the top. Yeah. And although he, he, he didn't go up there in the time we walked 10 or, 10 or 12 spaces and he wasn't in the building, there, it wasn't anywhere. That's uh, very interesting. Uh, and I mentioned it to a woman who lives in the area uh, some time after us and she just smiled and she said, oh, that's to nice people for you. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's fantastic. Well, my father, well, we're in the area anyway. My father used to say that uh, when he was young and he was working as a joiner, uh, they would be working over in that area, and of course they would just be they would just be bothering. They wouldn't go home at night because it was too well, it's too far. If you were on a bicycle or something, it's too far. And he said we used to go for a walk. He said you would never see anybody, but they they, they would be in, you would hear the young ones who would be in the bushes to be watching you. You know, you would hear them talking, but they never came out. You know, <laughs> and if you and if you made if you made a bridge into the hazel, so they would take off. You know, up the the bank. Aye. But so maybe that's a tradition there. I don't know. Aye. Aye, but that was a funny one. I, I, I'm still perplexed by that one. And I've, I thought I was speaking to him the other day. Man, but I never, I've never asked him about it. But maybe you're better not to know. Aye. Yeah, indeed. Aye. 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 I mean, I could ramble on all day. I'm sure, but I better not. Um, have we covered most things? Aye. Well, thank you very much. Very much appreciated. No, you're welcome. Aye. Aye.
I don't think anybody would find it very interesting, but there you are, you know. Oh, I think you'll be proven wrong there. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. It was a great pleasure to finally get to spend time with you. Talking with John before and after the recording, I'm struck by the importance of getting facts right. A few folk have noticed wee mistakes here and there in some of the things that the participants have said over the last 18 episodes. My mistakes tend to be big and obvious, but I'm not always aware of when someone says something that's not quite factually correct in relation to certain details. As a remedy to this, I'll put a small corrections or errata section on the web pages in the future. So if you spot any wee details here and there that aren't quite right, do let me know and I'll share them on the website for later reference. And thank you to all of you who took the time to fill in the survey. It makes really interesting reading. It's really helping me understand how you relate to the episodes and kind of what I'm doing. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make... I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee, or even the cost of a freshly picked Romanesco, wherever you may be through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations, which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel. If you want to contribute to that, you're very welcome. But don't worry if you can't donate or you don't want to, I'd much rather that you listened than didn't. And on that note, Thank you very much, Norman. I really appreciate it. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you want to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen to these episodes, I'd be most grateful. And thank you to those of you that have. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you also to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you very much. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More in time. Shinu. Sure